The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gildas Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. One of the things uh, of which I am most proud is that uh, at the Cancer Support Community and on this show, we don't shy away from difficult and sometimes uh, uncomfortable topics. For example, we've tackled uh, life after a loved one uh, has died with all of its emotion and all of those practical issues. Um, On the show today, we're going to talk about another important subject that's often overlooked by the medical community and uh, unspoken by patients, and that is sexuality and intimacy and cancer. We're going to have an open and frank conversation so that you are informed and empowered to make the best decisions for yourself and for your loved ones. We are very lucky to have with us today Dr. Michael Critchman. Dr. Critchman is the Executive Director of the Southern California Center for Sexual Health and Survivorship Medicine located in Newport Beach, California. He is the former co-director of the Sexual Medicine and Rehabilitation Program at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York City. He is also a clinical sexologist and certified sexual counselor. He is an associate clinical professor at the University of California, Irvine, Division of Gynecological Oncology, and the medical director of ANS Clinic, a high-risk program for breast and ovarian cancer survivors. He's the 2013 recipient of the Wish Outstanding Achievement Award given by the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health. Dr. Critchman has published six books and has been featured on the Today Show, uh, the New York Times, U.S. News and World Report, the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Health Magazine, and many more. We want to welcome you today uh, to the show, Dr. Critchman. Thanks so much, Kim, for, uh, for having me and for definitely being brave enough to talk about and tackle many uh, difficult topics, sexuality among one of them. You know, I think uh, you reiterate in your opening how very important it is to discuss the, to- the hard topic. So I do appreciate the opportunity to come and uh, speak with you about a really important issue that's very often overlooked. Good. Well, let's, uh, let's jump right in, uh, Dr. Critchman. According to the National Cancer Institute, anywhere between 40% and potentially 100% of patients with cancer experience some kind of sexual problem, depending upon the cancer being treated. And even on the lower end of that range, you know, at 40%, this is a significant, a significant percentage of the patient population. There's so much to find out and learn uh, and understand. It's, it's, it's hard to know where, be- where to begin, but I'm just going to dive right in with you since you are the expert 
uh, Dr. Critchman, on this. Let's begin by getting a sense of the types of problems uh, that that uh, patients are facing. Let's start with the with with women. What are some of the um, common uh, uh, sexual concerns that female patients present? Well, you know, when we see women primarily, it really depends on the age and the cancer, but very common across the board, we certainly see menopausal issues, whether they're precipitated by treatment, um, whether it's radiation, chemo, uh, therapy, or surgical removal of the ovaries, we certainly see that loss of estrogen and estrogen stores has far-reaching implications both on the patient and her hormonal environment. As a result, we certainly see the, you know, the significant changes, which include vaginal dryness and uh, painful intercourse. And those you know, those are the starting points, and very often women will report loss of libido uh, as well as arousal changes. So it's a it's a very complicated um, arousal sexual paradigm. But we see that if we have one problem, it's not uncommon to have others. So we certainly think that you know those are exceptionally prevalent across the board. In addition to the physical issues that we see, um, we also note that there's changes, what I would call sexual self-esteem, how we view ourselves as sexual beings. Those are certainly problems um, as well. So, you know, surgery changes yeah. how we see ourselves, and it's very important to recognize these changes. So what about the change what about the changes that men are experiencing and how can we how do we look at those differently from some of the some of the issues that you've discussed for female patients? Well, some of them are very similar like we talked about the changes in sexual self-esteem and how you view yourself either as a man or as a woman. Certainly surgery and radiation and chemo change the way uh, a man feels. He may certainly have loss of testosterone stores, he may also have issues related to erections uh, or ejaculation. Sometimes organs are removed. Sometimes you have an ostomy. So very similar uh, psychological issues in terms of changes of um, feelings and how you view yourself. But again, for men, they may have more common issues of erection, erectile dysfunction. Uh, But we do see across the board fatigue and we see associated uh, loss of sexual interest, both for men and women, as they journey through their cancer experience. And so, uh, Dr. Krishman, is it is it the cancer itself that's causing these issues? Is it the cancer treatment that's causing these issues? Is it a combination of both? Well, you make a very good point, Kim, and I think it's important to recognize that it's not only specifically the cancer. It may be the cancer itself. It may be what the cancer is doing, the organs that it is attacking, or it may be the treatment which would include surgery or surgical removal. It may include radiation. It may include chemotherapy and or side effects of these procedures. But in addition to those problems, we may also see associated side effects. So, you know, downstream effects like fatigue and stress and fear of recurrence certainly are all facets that may influence sexual function as well. And so let's, uh, you, you know, you talked a little bit about the 
you know, emotional and psychological issues and concerns that, that come along with cancer and come along, uh, you know, specifically with some of these sexual side effects that you're, that you're talking about. So can you talk a little bit more about the sort of common emotional and psychological concerns? And again, I think it's maybe a little bit of a, you know, of a chicken and an egg issue, right? Right. Well, I think one of the big issues is as you, we see specifically for the, for the, um, specific cancers like breast cancer or prostate cancer, these are integral sexual organs that are being removed or modified or what have you, and those are really uh, vital to the sexual response. How you view yourself as a sexual person or how you perceive yourself as either masculine or feminine certainly are influenced. So a woman who has breasts removed may certainly have impact in terms of how her femininity is expressed. So we certainly have to be aware of those concerns. Same issue if a man will have prostate cancer and has his prostate removed and then no longer has um, ejaculations. Very often that's tied to erection, ejaculation. They're tied and linked together. And it certainly may impact how a man feels about himself. And this certainly can lead to lowered mood and what have you. We also know... You know, with reconstruction, there are certainly issues for women in breast reconstruction. Not every woman gets a very good result, though we are getting better with our surgical evaluation and treatments. I think we really need to understand that it's a, sometimes a multifactorial aspect, not only the cancer, but what we do and how people cope with the variety of issues that they're faced with as they journey through cancer. And so, you know, uh, you know, as you're suggesting, there's sort of, a, you know, a lot of change that comes along with this and, and, and uh, uh, you know, in terms of one's perception of oneself, how one feels and, and, and all of those things that I imagine can, can raise a lot of emotional and psychological uh, issues. And I know a little later in the show we're going to talk about sort of relationships and, and communication, um, but we've got a couple more minutes in, uh, uh, in our first segment here, Dr. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, do you see a difference in how men and women deal with the, the psychological and emotional issues? And, and do you see any patterns in terms of differences between men and women being willing to bring them up, being willing to talk about them, having more of a comfort level with them, or, or you know, or is it, is, is it a more consistent experience? Well, I think it's a consistent experience, but it also, there's other variables that we need to consider. Mm-hmm. And we also need to consider age and and life status, you know, in terms of whether or not people are single or they're married, the ages of their children and what have you. So with the diagnosis of cancer brings on a lot of uncertainty and people don't know how they're going to feel during treatment and after. Uh, people very often have to face their own mortality as well, and uh, sometimes it's a very uh, pensive time of reflection. Um, very often we see uh, acute depression, we see challenges in terms of anxiety, um, not only the anxiety about the cancer, but sometimes anxiety about payment of insurance coverage, uh, concern about family and extended family. Very often these are very similar Mm-hmm. And sometimes in the acute crisis of cancer care, we sometimes neglect other facets that are just as equally as important. Mm-hmm. And just a quick question before we go to the break here. Um, I would assume that cancers involving, uh, involving a sex organ, prostate cancer, o- o- ovarian cancer, or our sexual identity like breast cancer are more likely to cause 
sexual dysfunction? Is that a correct assumption from a medical standpoint? Well, from a medical standpoint, you do have uh, a good point when it certainly affects the genital organs. It's certainly vital and has a direct influence. But uh, we certainly see with colon cancer, uh, women and men that have severe sexual problems after they have to have a colostomy or a bag and it's certainly problematic to their overall self-esteem. They're worried about how their partners will look at them. They're worried about the bag. They're worried about um, leakage and what have you. So yes, we certainly see when cancer affects the sexual organs, it certainly has a severe impact. But that's not to say that other cancers don't have severe uh, impact as well. So I don't want to minimize the experience of other uh, cancers. And can you just quickly explain to our viewers what a colostomy is and what a, what a bag is? So a colostomy is when they have the, the colon and it is pulled through the abdominal wall. So rather than have uh, go to the restroom through the rectum like uh, many other patients, uh, these patients have a bag and the uh, stool will fill in the bag and they're concerned that the bag may leak or smell or what have you. So there's a whole variety of other uh, underlying concerns. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we're going to take a quick break here. Um, this is, uh, frankly speaking, about cancer. We are talking today about sex and intimacy after cancer. Our guest is Dr. Michael Critchman. He is the executive director of the Southern California Center for Sexual Health and Survivorship Medicine. That's located uh, in uh, Newport Beach, California. He's also the former co-director of the Sexual Medicine and Rehabilitation Program uh, at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York City. He's a national expert on this subject. He is widely published, uh, has been on the Today Show in the New York Times, U.S. News and World Report, the Wall Street Journal, talking about sex and intimacy uh, after cancer. We have um, a lot of important information that we want to cover uh, on the show today with uh, Dr. Critchman. Don't go away. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word terms I don't understand, choices I never thought I'd have to make. 
But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you a breakaway from cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by Amgen Oncology and Lilly Oncology. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and today we're talking with Dr. Michael Critchman. He's the Executive Director of the Southern California Center for Sexual Health and Survivorship Medicine, located in Newport Beach, California, and the former co-director of the Sexual Medicine and Rehabilitation Program at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Dr. Critchman is a clinical sexologist and certified sex sexual counselor. Dr. Krishman, um, I, I want to talk about some definitions here for um, a moment. Talk to me a little bit about the difference between sexuality and intimacy. Well, I think they're very often intertwined. So many people, when they talk about sexuality, they talk about sexual behavior. And that really means about what people are doing um, behind closed doors in terms of um, sex in terms of their sexual organs, whether it is uh, penetration or intercourse or manual or um, digital stimulation. When we talk about other facets like intimacy, we really mean about the emotional connection, uh, the connection on more of a spiritual plane between uh, both uh, partners that are engaged in a physical act. So when we talk about sex, we talk about sexuality and um, the expression of physical behavior, but intimacy more often than not includes the emotional connection. And both men and women experience sexuality and intimacy combined, I think, and that certainly can um, influence both uh, both facets, both sexuality and intimacy can be impacted by the cancer experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, in the, in the, uh, the first segment, Doctor, you mentioned uh, that obviously there are a lot of factors that we need to take into account when talking about these issues, um, talking about someone's diagnosis and the stage of disease, talking about someone's age. Um, but I think we also mentioned someone's uh, marital status, whether uh, someone is um, married in a long-term relationship, whether someone's single, perhaps dating, perhaps not in a relationship. When you're counseling a, a patient with cancer, how do you approach those issues differently if someone's married in a long-term relationship or if someone's single and maybe in or not in a relationship? How do you talk about that? Well, let's talk about the first aspect, first and Mm -hmm. foremost, married. And again, we have to understand that um, people have sexual lives that are influenced by day-to-day facets, whether it's children or work or stress um, or biology, before they get the cancer experience. So very often when we have a married couple, they may certainly bring in 
to the counseling session a lot of unresolved issues that may pre predate the cancer, mm-hmm. so we certainly have to address those. Mm-hmm. Certainly when there's a partner involved, the dynamic, the relationship, the communication skills certainly change between the uh, person who has the cancer and the partner. One, for instance, is, you know, we may see that sex roles change. What that would mean is, you know, if a woman has breast cancer uh, and she's involved in a traditional relationship where women typically cook and clean and take care of the home and take care of the kids and the husband goes out to work, if she were to get cancer, the husband may have to now resume a lot of the behaviors that he would normally not be involved in. And sometimes there's anger and resentment that he hasn't really signed up for this, but he's going to, you know, step up to the plate and do what he needs to do. But he may feel angry, just as, uh, you know, I think those are very, very important issues to address. And also the dynamic of support going from partner, lover to caregiver sometimes Mm -hmm. is a challenging transition. Now, in contradistinction, when we talk about single patients, there's this whole world about disclosure. Uh, We all look very, very similar with our clothes on, but as the clothes come off, we may experience scars. There may be changes in fertility. There may be other you know, medical appliances or what have you. When I mean appliances, I talked about the bag. There may be scars and what have you. So the concept of disclosure, when to tell your dating partner Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. a really big issue. And I think it's a very important concept to discuss. Uh, I remember I had a, a, you know, woman on the, um, uh, on our radio show who had had uh, cancer and she was a young woman in her, uh, late twenties, and you know, she said, "There's no." She she was dating. She was not married, and she said, "There's no guidebook on when you tell someone you're dating that you don't have a uterus." <laughs> and that was her. You know, she said, uh, I, "You know, I'm not really sure where to begin, how to approach that." And so, is is that decision sort of individual, person by person? Is there a is there a formula for it? Is there um, X, you know, okay, X number of dates you move to this level or X number of, I mean, you know, how do you talk? Let's just drill down a little bit and maybe to give, give me an example of a, a patient that you've, you've counseled in this particular situation. Well, I think, you know, I've counseled multiple patients, single patients who um, become very guarded. And mm-hmm. then what that would mean is they've disclosed pretty early on in the relationship and, I really think that it really depends on the person and where they are in terms of their overall cancer survivorship, where they feel comfortable with. And I think it really plays a part in terms of the overall schema of how dating is changing. Um, And dating is changing because many people meet online. Many people will disclose either a lot of personal information or no personal information. And the concept of having cancer really should be viewed as the same kind of concerns disclosing uh, issues related to your finance, your job, your family, your family history, and what have you. I think we need to have... um, be slightly guarded, but certainly telling somebody that you're not able to reproduce or you have fertility issues, it shouldn't necessarily be a topic of discussion for your first um, 
date. Mm-hmm. And it also shouldn't be a discussion as you're walking down the aisle to get married. Mm-hmm. So it is variable. It depends on the, the individual. I have some women and men that disclose on the first date because they want people to go in with eyes wide open. And I have other people that have had uh, very negative experiences. I will also caution people that the negative experiences are not really timed to time. What that means is you can still have a negative experience even if you don't disclose for quite some time. Sometimes mm-hmm. the the negative experiences are even worse because people feel so misled. So I think you have to individualize, you have to know the relationship, yes. you have to know your partner, and you also have to know what you're comfortable with. And I mm-hmm. think once you start feeling as an individual that this is something serious that you'd like to pursue in a more serious fashion, then I think it's time to start thinking about disclosing in terms of cancer and cancer experience. But sometimes it's not appropriate. Right, 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 right. Uh, before we go to our next break, Dr. Krishman, let me move to another uh, topic. I think it's it's uh, probably safe to assume that most patients and their loved ones are really focused on survival during the treatment phase. What's the treatment? Um, you know, what's the stage of my disease? Am I going to live? What, you know, how am I going to feel? Um, you know, that said, at, at what point should these issues arise of someone's sexuality and the impact of cancer and cancer treatment on their sexual functioning? Is it something that the patient should be bringing up? Is it something they should expect their doctor to bring up? I mean, what are we seeing in terms of that, that communication with the healthcare team? Well, I think that's really how you define survivorship. And for me, survivorship really begins at the time of diagnosis. So you start living with your disease, no matter what stage of your disease, at the time that you get the diagnosis. So I think those are vital, important concepts. The timing by which people will access information about sexuality is very different. And I divide up cancer and its treatment into three phases. One is the echo phase, where you're still kind of in shock that you have this diagnosis. Then you go into a task phase, where you're given lots of papers, and you have to go from appointment to appointment to appointment, um, whether it's chemo or radiation or or surgery uh, or physical therapy of this doctor and that doctor, and you're poked and prodded. And then they say, okay, you're done. You're living with your disease. Your disease is stable. We don't need to see you every other day. We need to see you every few months. But we never give people a a good plan in terms of how to cope with living with disease. So sexuality is something that you should be be taught about and be given information uh, really, I think, at the beginning of your diagnosis, but really understand that people will access that information at a variety of different points. There are certainly women and men that want to maintain sexuality even in the face of cancer treatment. And I think that's very important. It, re- it reminds them uh, of being alive and vital and connected um, mm-hmm. and being loved. So sexuality, even during cancer, is something that we shouldn't forget during treatment. And it is even very, very important at the end stage of cancer, at palliation, when we know that recovery is not likely and that people may succumb to their disease. So, again, the... 
the importance of having information available at all different phases is very, very vital and very important for the cancer patient and their partners. But would you say that it's something that doctors are bringing up to patients, or do you think it's something that's still sort of incumbent upon the patient? And do you think maybe, uh, and we've just got a break coming up here, but do you think patients don't want to bring it up because they think, I just want to talk to this doctor about getting well and getting cured? Well, I believe so. And I think that, you know, there's a disconnect on both sides. Clinicians say, well, if patients would think it's important, they would bring it up. And patients say, well, if my doctor or nurse practitioner thought it was important, then they would bring it up. So there's a very big disconnect. And, you know, there's other constraints like time constraints and reimbursement and what have you. So certainly uh, a very big disconnect in terms of overall communication. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Uh, Our guest today is uh, Dr. Michael Critchman. He's the Executive Director of the Southern California Center for Sexual Health and Survivorship Medicine in Newport Newport Beach, California. We're talking about sex and intimacy after cancer. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at CancerSupportCommunity.org. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. 
To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Onyx Pharmaceuticals, an Amgen subsidiary in Bristol-Myers Squibb. I'm Kim Tableau, and today we're talking with Dr. Michael Critchman about sexual dysfunction and intimacy problems that patients with cancer experience. Dr. Critchman is a clinical sexologist and certified sexual counselor. He's been featured on the Today Show in the New York Times, U.S. News and World Report, The Wall Street Journal, Health Magazine, and many more. Um, doctor, I want to share with you a remark from a breast and colorectal cancer survivor, a woman who had both, uh, in which she destru- describes her state of mind after a mastectomy, chemo, and multiple surgeries. Quote, after so many people at the hospital doing whatever they, uh, after so many people at the hospital doing whatever they want to do and need to do to your body, I feel like I needed to have it to myself. I didn't really want to share it with anyone else. It makes sex kind of difficult. End quote. Um, uh, you know, is that a common experience that you hear from patients? I mean, do, should a patient expect if I if I wait it out, things will get better? Then and and their experiences during the intense phase of treatment may you know sort of move into the rearview mirror as they start to uh, recover, or is is it a is it a use it or lose it uh, scenario where sexuality and, and intimacy are concerned? Well, I do think that. Um that patient experience is not unique. And what happens is people feel so poked and prodded and almost pulled apart, and they become kind of like just pieces of a puzzle. Mm -hmm. And very often people will come in and women will tell me, you know, it's so nice to speak with you, Dr. Critchman. You're actually looking at my face, and you're not looking at the scar or the breast or the colon or what have you. So I do think that those are very important facets and understandings. So people feel very much disconnected from their body, and that is not uncommon. What happens is they kind of sign over their body, their rights of their body, to their medical and surgical oncologist. They're getting multiple opinions, and they're kind of trying to to understand what is to do, and they kind of put their faith in other people. So... The first step that I do in terms of treatment of sexual problems is really to empower people to take back control over their body. So things like diet and exercise and sleep and relationship communication is very important. And I also encourage people that they don't necessarily have to have partnered sexual activity. They can, I need them to learn about their new body. Mm-hmm. And sometimes a sexual exercise may be that they have to stand in front of a mirror completely naked and look at their new body. Mm-hmm. And that is um, sometimes a very, very difficult and very, very challenging experience for both men and women to see how their bodies have changed. Uh, women will use the words as ravaged or or changed completely or disconnected. 
mm-hmm. um, or they'll come back and say, that's not me, that's a foreigner. So I think it's very important to recognize that partnered sex may take some time to recover, but we, it's a process. So let's, let's dive into some of the treatment options that are available to help. Um, and I, I feel like for many, many years we've been seeing, you know, ads and commercials about different treatments for men to help with different aspects of sexual dysfunction. But I feel like as of late, there are more commercials and more ads and maybe more treatment options available for women. Am I, am I, am I wrong in, in, in that observation? Or, you know, tell me about what we've seen around the evolution of treatment for both men and women. Well, that's a, you know, a, a very, very challenging discussion. So let's take the easy one. The easy one really is men. There's 26 mm-hmm. approved drugs for the treatment of male sexual problems. Mm-hmm. There's a variety of testosterones. There's uh, medications that enhance blood flow. Many of the listeners may know them as Viagra, Cialis, Levitra. They've been around for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And they primarily focus on the neurobiological phenomena that that um, may be impacting men as they have chronic medical disease, and cancer is one of them, including, you know, if they have diabetes or high blood pressure. These medications have been tested, tried, and true for a variety of different experiences, erectile problems. There's also many medications approved for premature ejaculation and what have you. When it comes to women, Kim, unfortunately, um, there's no drugs really approved for libido, so that's a big void. There are some drugs approved for painful intercourse, but many of these and the majority of them are falling into the hormonal realm. What that means is that a woman who may have a hormonally sensitive tumor, ones that have estrogen or progesterone receptors, like the breast cancer or uterine cancer or what have you, they may not be appropriate candidates for these medications. Mm -hmm. So, uh, again, uh, they may be appropriate for a menopausal woman, but they may not be appropriate for certain women under certain cancer situations. That all being said, there's many women that are appropriate to be treated with these Mm -hmm. hormones, including estrogen and uh, off-label testosterone as well. Uh, There's a lot of exciting new buzz and research in the field of female sexual pharmacology, and things are in development and going to the FDA in terms of uh, female sexual uh, dysfunction. Flibanserin is one of them that is a, a it's a centrally acting drug. It works on in your uh, head. It works on modulation of neurotransmitters. It's really been very, very well studied, over 11,000 women, and it may be at some point tested in cancer patients. It hasn't been, and it's not approved, but it may be something uh, in the future that will help our cancer patients who cannot or will not take hormones. Uh, there's other medications like bremelanotide, which is, um, it works also centrally. It's going into stage three clinical trials. So there is a whole big buzz in terms of uh, the trying to play catch up in terms of female sexual health and wellness, uh, but there really isn't anything great approved for the treatment of desire problems. We can, we, we use frontline a variety of different things as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, and let me go back to the issue of of sort of emotional 
health, Dr. Critchman, we know that uh, a significant percentage of patients who are diagnosed with cancer um, experience depression, which I can imagine may also have an impact on sexual function, sexual desire. Do you, know, do you see instances where by addressing and treating the depression that it improves a person's sexual desire or sexual function? Um, definitely, and very often we have to see which came first. And the mm-hmm. challenge is, as you know, many women and men who are on uh, medications for depression, the medication that we actually prescribe can actually in and of itself cause um, worsening sexual problems. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the serotonin reuptake inhibitors also certainly can have um, an impact. So we have to be careful about what and what we're using and the impact, not only the direct effects, but the indirect effects as well. Mm-hmm. And what about, um, doctor, what about treatment choices? Um, so for example, let's say prostate cancer. Uh, I know sometimes with prostate cancer, there are a range of treatment choices for the patient with prostate cancer, do some of those different choices potentially have a greater or lesser impact on sexual function? And again, potentially would that weigh into the conversation with the doctor about what treatment I want as I look at this, the potential side effect profile of treatments? Well, of course. But I mean, again, our, our thought process is we really need to eradicate and control the cancer. And again, uh, we see with men that nerve-sparing radical prostatectomy is a uh, cornerstone and really a key treatment option in order to preserve erectile functioning and decrease incontinence rates. We know that if a patient is an appropriate medical and surgical candidate, then this would be definitely offered. That's not to say that with uh, radiation, we don't have other tricks that we can do. So I think it's very important to really uh, develop a very good, what I would say, your cancer network team, which includes not only your medical and surgical oncologist, but also your survivorship or your living with cancer specialist as well. I think those are very important facets to discuss. And do you see, before we get to our our next break here, Dr. Krishman, do you see a change in, um, uh, you know, if if a patient perhaps feels poorly while they're going through active treatment, if they're going through surgery or they're going through active treatment and perhaps feels poorly during that time, do you, do you see a change after their treatment has ended as they move into survivorship, move into recovery? Um, obviously, some folks are dealing with more permanent and, let's say, scarring changes, but does, sometimes do you see an improvement in that sort of post-treatment space where they get their sexual um, activity back? They may. And again, what I always tell people is the best predictor of how you did, uh, how you will do after cancer is how you did before. Mm-hmm. So many people that were very sexual before, they seek out care, they want to preserve their function, they want to work at any issues that need to be worked at. Um, during their experience, they may seek out specialists, they want to preserve their function, and they adapt. Um, so if your sexual function uh, may be changed, they will be more pliable. Those that have had poor sexual functioning earlier on may not be doing as well. 
Yeah, you know, you, you bring up a point. What I remember hearing one of our social workers at the cancer support community said to me once, you know, the person you are, the person you were before cancer is the person who you will be with cancer and after cancer. And that, you know, essentially, if you're a, uh, if you're a nervous person, then if you're diagnosed with cancer, you're going to be a nervous person with cancer. If you're an information seeker and you're diagnosed with cancer, you're going to be an information seeker with cancer and that you're not suddenly, you know, going to change who you are when you're diagnosed with cancer, that that's not suddenly all going to change. So I think reinforcing that idea as it also relates to your sexuality is, you know, certainly makes sense. It's an interesting point. Um, This is frankly speaking about cancer. We're talking about sex and intimacy uh, during and after cancer. Our guest today is Dr. Michael Critchman. He is the executive director of the Southern California Center for Sexual Health and Survivorship Medicine, located in beautiful Newport Beach, California. A bit of a change from his uh, previous role, 3,000 miles on the other coast at Memorial Sloan Kettering uh, Cancer Center. We're happy to have Dr. Critchman with us today talking about these important issues of sex and intimacy and cancer. We're going to take a quick break here. We've got more to talk about, so don't go away. We'll be right back. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities, Frankly Speaking About Cancer Series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The cancer support community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. 
You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Millennium, the Takeda Oncology Company. I'm Kim Tibaldo from the Cancer Support Community. Today we're talking with Dr. Michael Critchman, the Executive Director of the Southern California Center for Sexual Health and Survivorship Medicine located in Newport Beach, California. He's the former co-director of the Sexual Medicine and Rehabilitation Program at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York. Before we continue with our discussion with Dr. Critchman, I want to play just a little clip from a song um, that I think helps put a lot of what we're discussing in perspective. It's by a singer and songwriter, Mark Bowling. Some of you know Mark uh, Bowling and his uh, beautiful music. He was inspired by a woman who's a cancer survivor and and her husband. Um, the song is called Wanting You, and it really is about uh, her feeling not really like herself and like the whole person she was before cancer, but really her husband talking about his enduring um, love for her and their, and their relationship. The song is called um, Wanting You, by Mark Bowling. Um, let's just take a listen to that. You say you can't see why I love you. Well, by now I think you should know. Tell me the cancer is taking your beauty The woman I met long ago Well girl I swear you must be crazy Don't you know my love is true Love is what it is And it does what it does Just like me standing here wanting you The wind is still blowing in Kansas The sun's peeking out through the clouds The world, it keeps turning Like it's supposed to do Just like me standing here wanting Just like me standing here wanting you Uh, that was Wanting You by, by uh, Mark Bowling from his album, The Fly Again Project. And we've done some work with Mark. And, and uh, for more information about Mark and his album, go to www.flyagainsong.com. But I really do think those lyrics really reinforce the conversation that we're having today about uh, the impact that cancer can have on every aspect of your life, including your relationships, including your sexuality um, and intimacy. Um, we're... we're uh, Dr. Christian, unfortunately, getting towards the end of our show, I have a couple more questions for you. Um, if a cancer patient is um, in a relationship, do you rec- recommend that they seek help together as a couple with their partner, or do you recommend that they go for help and counseling alone, or are there pros and cons to each of those? I think there are pros and cons to each of them, and I think that ideally we let the patients gauge what they're uh, comfortable with. And very often patients will come in alone or with their partner. They'll come in alone first and foremost and kind of get a feel uh, for what is going on both with them and allow a safe, uh, comfortable environment for them to experience their concerns. And then we encourage the partners to come in because certainly sexuality is a partnered sport 
and very often those issues uh, need to be addressed um, together as a couple. So very often we see both paradigms. And what if you are a spouse or a significant other? We have a lot of caregivers who listen to our show who may be struggling to figure out what's the right thing to do, what's the right thing to say, how do I broach this uh, issue with my loved one who is impacted with cancer. Obviously, I'm concerned about their care and about their treatment, but this is something that impacts our relationship. How do I, how do I bring that up um, in an appropriate way? I think you have to kind of individualize. And sometimes, you know, uh, talking about intimacy and relationships uh, is a very challenging issue, both for um, the partner and the patient. So I think it's important to recognize um, that sometimes sensitive issues uh, can be broached within the clinician and the clinical experience. Um, And sometimes I think you just need to tread cautiously. Um, So I think that's a very important issue to address as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Christian, when you look at the broader medical landscape, do you believe that sexual health and well-being are getting the attention that they deserve? Do you think doctors are com- comfortable talking about it? Is it getting attention and training at medical schools, at, at, at nursing schools? You know, are doctors prepared to talk about this with their patients? We, I would like to think so, um, but it's not always the case. Um, you know, um, you know, we're trying to get better in terms of understanding, in terms of uh, education. I know clinicians really want to help patients, and patients really want to be helped. Uh, there seems to be a void in terms of sexual education that's improving, um, and improving exponentially, I think. Uh, people are interested. It's just sometimes very challenging. There's lots of constraints in terms of time and reimbursement and level of comfort. So I do think that we need uh, to do better in terms of our education um, and in terms of making these uh, facets um, more readily available. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just before we conclude here, Doctor, can you tell us a little bit about your practice in California? And um, if someone has concern about these issues, how do they find an expert like you? How do they find resources in their community, at their cancer center, uh, to, to find the right people who are trained to help them deal with these issues? Well, I think that as we I think the best place to start is at your cancer center, and there's certainly sexual health and survivorship champions, and survivorship is going to be mandated. What that means is that it's not going to be okay anymore for cancer centers not to address the after effects and not to address the quality of life considerations. So I think that the best place is to... um, is to ask your cancer center. And I always say a good doctor is never afraid of a second opinion. And if Mm -hmm. you don't find a clinician that is listening to you, uh, that is nurturing the important concepts that are important for you, it's okay to find a second um, opinion. 
There are sexual medicine experts throughout the country that are uh, interested. Uh, the International Society for the Study of, of um, International Society for Sexual Medicine is a good venue. The American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, or ASECT, is also another uh, organization that certainly can be helpful. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of organizations. In terms of my clinical practice, I um, certainly see a lot of uh, women, as I am a sexual medicine gynecologist, mm-hmm. um, and I do refer and collaborate out with a lot of men. I do see uh, a lot of counseling patients as well. So I see men, women, and couples and individual as well. Um, I'm fortunate enough that I see people from all around the country as well. Yes. So yes. I know it's a, a challenge, but there mm-hmm. are healthcare providers out there that are interested and willing okay. um, and want to help. It's good, to, it's good to know, and I think, like you said, to start at your cancer center to help find the experts in your uh, in your community. Dr. Krishman, I want to thank you so much for coming on to the show today. Sexual health is undoubtedly a major quality of life issue for people, but many patients, medical professionals, others are afraid and embarrassed and, and hesitant to discuss it. But you've truly helped our listeners uh, a great deal to, uh, to start today to reclaim that part of their lives, and we want to thank you again. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Thank you for joining us today for Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. <music>